0: Swinging a line drive left field. Ben coming on. Dives. And did he make the catch? He did. It. He got it. There we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3 2. High, Nikoye. He yeah. it. It crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing him in straight three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world
1: championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast from wherever you happen to be listening from. I am Terry Cushman, joined tonight by Jason Kelly, Andrew Dwan. How are you guys?
1: I'll do bad. Doing all right, guys.
0: Well, that's uh Not too shabby. So basically uh, getting right into it, um, you know, if you go back a week ago, there was a lot of hysteria about the, you know, the disorganization of the COVID testing process. Some teams weren't getting their results back, having to cancel practices. I know the Nationals had to cancel a couple, um, the Astros, Giants as well. Most of that seems to be ironing out and we don't have uh, quite as many cancel the season, uh, you know, you know, chants from, you know, people on social media. So are, are you guys feeling a little bit better now that, you know, things are kind of, you know, a little more smoother?
1: Um, You know, honestly, I'm still kind of. Nervous about it going off without a hitch. Uh, Because if they miss, if they can't get their tests in during game day, then what happens? Especially if it happens a couple days in a row, you're not going to be able to play the game. Because I know the MLS ran into that uh, issue, I think it was today or yesterday. So until they have everything really ironed out and um, just a lot of things in place to ensure that they will have the tests and those results as quick as possible. I'm still holding my breath that we can have a, a season go off without any hiccups.
2: Yeah, I would, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I do think that, you know, they've got two weeks. They still got two weeks until opening day. So they'd have time to iron out those kinks and, and figure it out and, get a nice, smooth process in. The thing that I'm worried about is the players themselves because I do feel like there's still a lot of these guys that are just looking for an excuse to opt out. Um, and, I, you know, the, the, the scenario that keeps popping into my mind is, okay, hey, we're a week into the season, things are going well, we're playing games, and all of a sudden we see a tweet from Jeff Passon like, okay, uh, Oakland A's star Matt Chapman has tested positive. And then, you know, the trickle-down effect from that of, OK, well, now uh, A's starting pitcher, Sean Manaya says that he's going to opt out because he doesn't feel safe and, you know, because he was exposed to Chapman. Like it just stuff like that is what I'm still worried about. I, I, I just think that these guys are just looking for a reason to opt out. So I, I think MLB will square away all the issues with the testing and stuff. But, yeah, I, it's the players that I'm more worried about than anything else.
0: I just feel like once the season starts and these guys have their paychecks coming back in, I just, I feel like they'll find a way to, to stick it out. And I have been encouraged the whole time by a lot of these players who have simply been asymptomatic. And I know they're, they're contagious and and they, you know, they need to be handled, you know, accordingly, but I, I don't think the scare factor is quite there because of that. Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, was positive, asymptomatic. He just came back either yesterday or today and you know resumed his spring training. Um, I think Josh Taylor was also asymptomatic. I haven't seen his status in the last few days, whether he's back or not. Uh, Erod had mild symptoms. The only real serious case that is known, and and there could be some that aren't known, but the only semi serious case that that was known so far is Freddie Freeman with the Braves. So I'm I'm a little encouraged. I don't think the you know the the scare factor is quite there.
2: Yeah, I certainly hope you're right um because that's that's the last thing we need is to finally after all this waiting and after all the infighting between the union Mm -hmm. and everyone else uh for players to now start saying okay well i don't feel safe because guys are testing positive because i I don't think that's going to go away so hopefully you're right hopefully they they feel least confident that okay even if it does happen it can be handled and we can still continue to play
1: I do wonder if the players would have all these reservations had the negotiations been done in a little better faith by the owners. Um, They really tried to rake the players over the coals during all this. And uh, just their whole sticking point was that there's going to be no fans and they're going to lose money. And then right after this, they were trying to figure out a way that they could get 10,000 fans in the stadium. Uh, So I, I do think that some of the players might see that as, you know, Kind of a backhanded slap almost. So uh, if they can still get paid and kind of stick it to the owners that way, I can I can see a few of them uh, electing to go that route.
0: I'm a little surprised that Mike Trout hasn't opted out yet because he was one of the more outspoken... Players that was apprehensive, you know. Sean Doolittle was another one. Buster Posey, who did opt out, but he plays for the fourth best team in California, so I don't think I don't think that's going to be too impactful. But what are the odds that Trout plays?
2: I think at this point, you know, seeing him today, he was in that inter squad game. He was hitting dingers, and um, it, it it feels like if he hadn't opted out already then he's probably gonna play. I think also the Angels are one of those teams that, you know, because of the shortened season, they might actually scratch their way into a playoff spot. It's not quite like Pose like you mentioned, you know, Posey with the Giants. The Giants stink. I mean they, you know, they might be one of these forty five lost teams, uh, in, in this shortened season. But the Angels, they've actually got a shot. So I think Trout recognizes that and I think maybe his teammates talked him into it. Um and And I think he's pretty much on board. I doubt at this point that he would back out,
1: yeah, I don't think trout would have waited this long. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy um from everything I know. So uh, I think he's gonna play the season uh, unless, of course you see a huge influx of cases. and then I could see him leading the charge and because uh, I mean he is you know the face of the league. so. Um, If he's getting some pressure from the players, he's obviously going to do what's in their best interest. And if that's shut it down, he's going to do that.
0: I did see something yesterday. It was an angels player speaking about how they're all working extra hard to, to make him specifically comfortable. Like they're really running a tight ship out there in Anaheim. So that could be part of it. I know his, his relationship, Mike Trout's relationship isn't the greatest with Rob Manfred, But I just kind of wonder if maybe there was some backroom, you know, negotiations going on between the commissioner and and Trout, maybe some begging on the part of the commissioner to to keep him, you know, available for the season.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I know that he gets criticism for being not the most charismatic guy, not the most uh, sort of lightning rod personality that guys like Bryce Harper and all these other guys in the league have, but he is the best player in your league, hands down. I mean, there's no debate about that. So I'm sure Manfred probably did speak to him, and you might be right. There might have been a little bit of begging on his side, just going, come on, you're you're the best player in the league. Like, you know, you're the guy that everyone looks to. If you back out, then, you know, the floodgates are going to open, and all of a sudden we're going to have a ton of other players backing out because you did so you've got to lead the charge the other way. You've got to lead the charge for the good of the sport, and you've got to be out there playing, and people have to see you out there playing to know that it is safe.
1: And yeah, it'd be like if LeBron opted out of uh, the bubble that's going to be starting up in a few weeks. If if he wasn't on board, uh, they would have just shut it down. So I think uh, I'm sure that they spoke with Trout to, make, to really make sure that he wasn't going to uh, sit out the season. So I... I, I Like I said, I do think he's going to start the season uh, in Anaheim.
0: One last thing on this subject, and uh, it involves a little bit of a conspiracy theory, and as you guys have seen, I love a good conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> if September 20th or September 25th rolls around and Aaron Judge gets COVID-19, but he's asymptomatic, does that test magically disappear?
2: uh because i could see i could see manfred you know
0: covering it up
1: no i i don't think it would they they would expose themselves to so many different lawsuits uh (laughs) if you know just if someone else got it on the team or one of the older staff members on the team so yeah no i don't kind of like a uh maybe a pop test goes uh un undeclared. I don't, I don't think that a, a positive COVID test would.
2: No. I, and there's so much bad faith surrounding this sport right now. Anyway. I mean, yeah, it, it's great. It's coming back. And I think people have generally, you know, their, their anger has quelled over, you know, how long this took and everything, but baseball still really hurt its reputation. If something like that were to happen and, and they were to try to cover something like that up, um, yeah, that's that. That would be a really, really bad look. So I don't think it would ever get to that point.
0: I'm not saying I believe that would happen, but it sounds like I'd be the least surprised out of the three of us. Manfred also has a pending DraftKings. Um, there there was a part of that lawsuit which had nothing to do with the Astros scandal, but. Apparently, Manfred sent a letter to the Yankees, and there there could be some damning stuff in there as to their own use of outfield cameras, up to three, according to um, an SNY uh, writer. But um, I mean, I just think this guy's totally tone deaf, and I just wouldn't I wouldn't put it past anything. August is going to be an interesting month if they. Uh, allow that letter to be, you know, released to the public. So we'll see. And I'm also wondering, you know, who who is aware of this? Like when Judge tests positive, does – is he the first person to get the news or is the team the first person to get the news? Because I could – I mean, I could see him just keeping it a secret, you know, from all of his teammates, you know, if if that's what it comes down to. I just – Well, I
1: think that – the doctors, it, it goes right into their hands. They're the first ones that have the results, and he's going to be removed immediately. Um, I mean, they would, their jobs would be on the line. I, I don't, it, you can't keep anything secret nowadays. Uh, whatever you do is going to get leaked out there. Uh, I don't think that some, you know, some test handler making, uh, clearly not as much as these players are, is going to risk their career um, just I've let Aaron Judge, your uh, n- name uh, star player here, uh, continue to play uh, abbreviated kind of joke of the season. Yes.
2: Yeah, I, I think in that case the team would be the first ones informed by the doctors and uh, and by all of them. the The team would get informed first, and then they it would be up to them. It would be on them and their responsibility uh, to inform Judge and to remove him from the lineup, remove him from the facility. Uh, all that stuff you can't relate to the player first because the players uh, are kind of inherently selfish So something like that could happen where if you let the player know first he might go. Well, maybe I just won't tell anyone I mean, I feel fine. So, you know, I'll just I'll be extra careful and you know Everything will be good like no They got to tell the team first and then probably the league so that everyone knows and no one can try and run away from it um, That's what I'm guessing would happen
0: Okay um, and just to be clear, I I use Judge as an example because I expect him to be on a playoff team. So if any Yankee fans want to chart me because I, they're, insinu- they think that I'm insinuating he could be shady, I just had to use a relevant example. I'd love to use J.D. Martinez as, as an example, but well, we don't have the pitching it, staff.
1: The, I I think the Yankees fans should be happy that you think he's going to be happy healthy in about two months. So uh, I think that that'd be a bright spot for them. Yeah, I mean, that's very on list.
0: I don't know if he's going to be diving quite like that, though. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, those big guys, I mean, I think Tristan Casas, however you say his name, he's probably at least two years away now that, you know, we've got such a messed up year. But, I mean, I'm already thinking, geez, don't lock this guy up. He's six seven. just, you know, ride out the seven or eight years or whatever. Because these guys are showing us for the first time, you know, if you know a a player that's six seven six eight can be durable and i think a lot has to do with
1: the body type too though like these guys that are ripped out of their mind like judge and stanton i mean there's so many more things to pull when you're like that you know you like ortiz was a huge guy he only really had the feet issues you know he wasn't pulling hamstrings or anything so i don't know well i let's hope everyone stays healthy but this
0: is gonna be a weird year for injuries i think I'm surprised Stanton hasn't had COVID-19 like four times by now because it's like that guy just gets injured for, you know, doing nothing. But all right, getting into the Red Sox now, um, the lineup is an interesting situation. We don't have a bona fide leadoff hitter anymore. Um, Are you guys expecting it will be Ben Attendee?
1: Um, personally, I kind of, I'm hoping it's going to be Verdugo. I think in this year, they're going to want to get him as many bats as they possibly can to see what they have for the asset. So I I really think it's going to be Verdugo, then probably Devers and Martinez. If I had to put, uh, put some, put my bet on that, that'd be it.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Verdugo move into the leadoff spot. Ben doesn't, to me at least, does not have the plate discipline to be a leadoff guy. Um, he strikes out way too much, and that's it, it, just not that's not what you want in a leadoff guy. Verdugo, I think uh, he he takes a decent amount of walks at least from the little we've seen. So I would like to see him move into the leadoff spot. See how he does there. Um, I, I just think that that would be a decent spot for him.
0: You know, that is an interesting option, and uh, I didn't really consider that. Most of the talk has been Ben and Benintendi, but um, so either way, it would be a lefty. And so I think Devers would have to be third, and then Martinez would probably bat fourth where he's a righty. So in my lineup that I, I posted the other day, how I thought it would look, I had to put I had to put Xander in the two hole and, and I wasn't crazy about that, but I mean, who's a good righty bat to go in between two lefties at the top of the order.
2: Yeah. That's sort of the problem. I mean, you can't at this point, you can't put Chavis there. He's, you know, he's, he's not at that level yet. Um, and not, yeah. And like Pilar's not going to be, Playing uh, every day, he's he's probably only going to get in there against left-handers because they still insist on putting Jackie Bradley out there every day. So yeah, it probably would be Bogarts, um, which is a little bit weird because I think Bogarts is your best hitter outside of J.D. Martinez, and he's in the two-hole. But then again, if verdugo is able to take walks and is able to get on base at a decent clip as your leadoff guy then having Bogart's right there to drive him in with Devers and Martinez on deck. That's, that's not a bad way to start every game.
0: Yeah, I, I have Verdugo fifth behind JD, but I mean, I guess you, I mean, I don't know where I would, if I had to put Verdugo in the leadoff spot, then do I put Benny behind JD? Part of the problem here is we got so many damn lefties, you know, you got Benny, Devers, yeah. Verdugo, Moreland, and JBJ, all lefties. So, uh, And I'm uncomfortable having Chavis sixth because he strikes out all the time. So it's a really weird, <laughs> well, weird lineup. They, I, I don't
1: think Chavis is starting this year. They already came out and said he wasn't. So, oh, no? Uh, it's going to be Peraza at second. Ooh. So he's ready to, Um so if we pencil his his bat in there, he's also a candidate that could can hit lead off. He's got experience doing it. Um so if he starts off the, you know, starts off the year hot, we could see him go there. Uh maybe Verdugo slip the second and then you get a little more uh righty lefty kind of thing going on uh, if that's the case.
0: Peraza was just so bad last year though. Um he had a great 2018. Let's see where he hit um 288 with a uh you know 326 obp that that's not super high but i mean yeah but that gives then, you speed up yeah if sure if he gets on base that's great last year he he had his worst season 239 average with only a 285 obp ops 631 so i mean i mean if if he comes out of the gates and it justifies it then yeah he would be a viable um option he is a righty so that could potentially um mess with the order a little bit so if you go peraza leading off then who's your lefty in the two hole devers uh
1: i would i, I mean i want devers number two no matter what honestly i just having him get that utilize as many plate appearances as he possibly can, um, I I want him to, I think he's your best player um, going forward. So I, I want to get him as, ma- as many at-bats this year as possible.
2: Yeah, I would agree. If if Peraza somehow becomes your leadoff guy, then I think Devers has to slide into that two spot. And then you decide between Bogarts and JD, who you want hitting third and fourth. But yeah, Devers should be getting as many plate appearances as, as possible.
0: Well, you could go Verdugo second after Peraza as well, and that would give you the opportunity to put uh, Xander back behind uh, JD. So, yeah, I guess I kind of like that now that you mention it, Andrew. But you know, it's right now it just seems like a tall order if if Peraza could be that guy. But if if he does, then you you have a much more you know conventional looking lineup. You have guys basically in their familiar roles you know, after him. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what Renicky does there. Uh, you kind of mentioned, uh, JBJ and Pilar. Do we expect this to just be a very conventional platoon where JBJ hits righties, Pilar hits lefties, and they're just going to call it good.
2: That's my expectation. Yeah. Now, ultimately what I would prefer just as a fan of, uh, not having to see guys flail away at the plate. I would like to see Pilar eventually take the job full-time, even though I I get it. He's not any great shakes anymore. He's not what he used to be in Toronto, but I'm just so done with watching Jackie Bradley Jr. at the plate. Um, I I get it. He's got range in center field, and occasionally he'll make a great catch. But, yeah, it it feels like that's what they're going to do. It's going to be him against righties, Pilar against lefties, because Bradley's absolutely useless against left-handers um and it'll probably just end up being a straight platoon yeah
1: yeah and i don't think we're gonna see verdugo playing every single day um as they ease him in from the back injury and everything so i think we're gonna see a lot of uh Polar and Bradley in the, in the lineup at the same time, at least over the first couple weeks of the season, um, just until everyone kind of hits their stride and gets to the point of the season where they really start feeling a little bit more comfortable with how the schedule's gone so far.
0: The last four years for Polar against lefties, I have his numbers right here. 2019, he hit 278 against lefties. 2018, 256. Uh, it's 2017, he had his best season ever against lefties, 336. It'd be nice to see that kind of production against lefties if he can do it. And then in 2016, uh, 283. So he's got very good numbers. I mean, if JBJ just gave you those numbers his whole career overall, you would be thrilled to just simply have J JBJ. But inevitably, you're going to have that month and a half stretch where he hits 190 and like Jason said that's painful I'm not a huge Bradley guy Uh, you know our co-host Al Nahegan is on the far end of the Bradley hate spectrum I'm not quite that far out but I'm not gonna miss him uh, you know once the season ends Uh, I'm assuming he um, won't be back I mean do you guys see any chance Bradley could get a one or two year deal after the season
1: uh, I mean, he absolutely could, but it's not going to be for the money he wants, uh, or will be seeking um, from Boston. <laughs> unfortunately, they really don't have a replacement anywhere for him either, um, in the minors or you know coming up. So um, they, I could see them trying, maybe giving him one more five to seven million, but he's probably going to want some more guarantees than that.
2: Yeah, I, unfortunately, I could see it um it it pains my soul just to think about but yeah i mean especially with everything going on like you know i don't know if they'll be able to find someone in free agency to take his spot because i mean andrew's right they don't have anyone in the minor leagues that can just take over in center field their their outfield minor league depth is is pretty atrocious um so yeah he could come back he's not going to come back I hope at the same money <laughs> he's, he's making this year, was he making like 11 million this year? Yeah. Like,
1: he's in arbitration three. So he's definitely a little bit more elevated than he has been in the past.
2: Yeah. Like if they brought him back on like a one or two year deal for between like six and 7 million. Sure. I guess, um, they may not have a choice, but anything more than that. And that's just stupid. So yeah,
1: I would even go up to like two years, 15 million. I would even mind the money is going to be silly anyways with, uh, you know what the cap is, which, well, that is if the tax resets if they get through the whole season. So, but yeah, there's there's nothing in the pipeline right now, and even if there was, all those guys in the high high uh, minors are gonna lose a year of development. So, you can't pencil anyone in.
0: What about maybe Chavis and left field? I've brought that up before, and the plan was last fall to put him in the Arizona Fall League as a corner outfielder. Uh, but his oblique just didn't recover quick enough uh, for him to do that. Um, but I just wonder if there's someone internally that you could put out there. Truthfully, I'd rather see Martinez out on the outfield than Chavis.
1: Hmm. I, 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 I don't want to see Chavis in the outfield.
2: The only other really outside shot is if Peraza does play well. He has played corner outfield before. Uh-huh. Um, he played a little bit of left and right in Cincinnati, and I think, honestly, he's got a little bit of a better build to do it than Chavis. Chavis is a little too like small and stocky to be an outfielder. I don't know if he could move very well out there. So that would be another outside shot, As if Barraza does sort of return to form, and he is a really good leadoff hitter, then you could stick him in left field, put Benny in center, uh, and have Chavis at second
0: yeah, Benny wouldn't be any worse than Ellsbury, you know, as far as, you know, tracking stuff. And, you know, Ellsbury's arm wasn't that great out there. You know, nothing like Bradley, obviously. Um, another uh, just possibility, and this might be a bit of a longer shot, but what if the Red Sox are more competitive than we expect? And, you know, they're within striking distance of first place or a wild card and Bradley is just scuffling like you wouldn't believe I mean it's possible he could just be straight up DFA'd I think oh that
2: wouldn't suck at all
0: yeah Yeah. and especially if they want the roster spot for someone else
2: well and part of of why I think they signed Pilar this was obviously back before everything shut down I think in their minds they might have been thinking you know assuming everything was going to be a regular 162 game season with a regular trade deadline, they might have been trying to ship him at the deadline, meaning Bradley. Um, they might have been just trying to find anyone who was willing to take him on any any playoff contending team that was desperate for a fourth outfielder. Um, I mean, the Dodgers add a billion outfielders every playoff push every year, so I think that was in their original plans: is that maybe they're going to try and deal him away, you know, and just move Pollard to, to center field full time just to get rid of Bradley and get rid of the contract.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I just don't think he's going to get more than 5 million a year from whether it's us or, or someone else. And a, a good recent example of this is Jay. Uh, no, excuse me. I always do this. Uh, Steven drew after the 2013 season, you know, he he was a Boris guy, just like Bradley, and he rejected the qualifying offer, which was like $16, 17 million back then. And Boris is like, no way, I'll I'll get you way more than that. And then there was just no market. And like Bradley, Drew was an elite defender, albeit an infielder, but uh, an elite defensive shortstop, and had a little bit of pop, you know, much like Bradley does, and there was just no market. And then he signed like halfway through the season with a prorated deal with the Red Sox. And then awkwardly we traded him to the New York Yankees. It's like one of the few Yankees trades with the Red Sox of my lifetime. But, um, but I just feel like if Boris thinks there's really going to be a big market for him, there really isn't going to be one, you know, he's, He's going to be, you know, a Kevin Pillar type guy, you know, to any prospective teams going forward.
2: Yeah, especially now, especially with a shortened season, especially with the fact that owners lost a lot of money through all this. They're not going to want to dish out larger contracts than they have to, especially to players like Jackie Bradley Jr. So, yeah, I think the market for him is going to really dry up after this year.
0: Right. And another thing to also keep in the back of our minds for the first 15 days of the season there's 30 player rosters and then after the 15th day it goes down to 28 and then after 30 days they have to have the normal 26 man roster so it's going to be very interesting as we approach each of those deadlines which two players are going to get cut you know and and you know whether they're going to be relievers or you know, one or two position players. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to keep as many position
1: players active as possible, uh, at least on the taxi squad, um, just c- for health and COVID reasons. So I, I, I really don't think that anyone's going to get DFA'd or anything, even if they are slumping. I think you just have to count on the depth this year because y- you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow at this point.
0: True, absolutely uh, Getting into the rotation now I'm wondering who the fifth starter is But before we, we get to that Can we can we all agree that the A solid four At least to start the season Is definitely going to be Evoldi Erod when he comes back um, And then Ryan Weber And uh, who's the fourth one? I didn't Uh, Perez Perez of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean all of that, all four of those guys are relatively safe as far as locking down the spot, I would say.
1: Yeah. Um, I think we're probably close to three to four weeks away from seeing Erod nearly at where he needs to be strength wise and conditioning wise. Um, I, no one really knows what he's been able to do throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, so I think um, they don't really need more than four starters for a while. Even the fifth starter is only going to get nine starts, um, potentially if they do play all 60 games just based off their schedule, uh, just the way all the games are lined up. So they might just be honestly able to roll with um, a core four for a bit, even with without Erod.
2: Yeah, there's they have a few candidates that could fill that fifth that, that spot. Um The guy that I think I, I would just choose just because he's done it before would be Colin McHugh, mm-hmm. uh, assuming he's healthy enough. Cause it's weird because his best year of his career was 2018 when he was purely a reliever, and he had a sub-2 ERA with Houston, uh, and he was nasty. And then last year he was hurt a little bit, but they turned him back into a starter and his numbers kind of went back down. But at least he can start. He can give you a good six, seven innings at times. Is he going to be any better than what you got on Rick Porcello last year? No. Um, it's you know, but again, it's a fifth starter. So who cares at that point? As long as he gives you winnings and can sometimes be productive, um, I'd rather see that than them doing this opener bullpen crap that the Rays do.
1: Yeah, once McHugh's back and healthy, I'm I'm really excited. I was actually really happy about that signing. Um, I don't know how long his uh, projected timetable is going to be because I know he's definitely not 100% at this point, but um, I wouldn't mind seeing Mazza or uh, Kyle Hart filling in. Um, both looked really good. I don't know if you guys watched any of the inter-squad scrimmages the last couple of days, but both those guys really looked good against uh, a lot of regular starters. Um, in the lineup
0: I haven't seen any but I I have just on social media amongst the beat writers seen a little bit of buzz about Mazza and so he could potentially be an option that was one of those kind of early high and bloom moves where you're hoping he knows something you know because he's been the brains behind you know Tampa's brilliant you know pitching program so yeah, I I know they were they were high on on Kyle Hart, uh, you know, when they acquired him last year. So, um, you know, hoping again there's some bloom magic there. I was just going through uh, just some news bits, and Erod technically hasn't been ruled out for opening day, so I don't think he's going to miss more than a couple of turns through the rotation. And the same article by CBS Sports um, also said that he had built up to four innings. So, um, you know, he might benefit from an opener when he does come back, you know, his first couple of starts. But I don't think we're looking too far out, uh, you know, for him coming back.
2: Yeah, that would obviously, that would be ideal, is if, uh, if Erod can kind of, they can speed him up a bit and he's he's able to go as your number one guy. Um, And then at least that way, if it, whether it ends up being Kyle Hart, Chris Mazza, or Colin McHugh, or one of those guys, at least you've got five guys who can go out there and give you five, six innings, um, you know, and you're not doing, you don't have to resort to openers or anything like that.
0: Uh, Another guy, I was just going to pull him up here. Um, I'd actually like to talk about David Price if if we have a few minutes later on. But we are saving roughly, I think, $6 million because he did decide to opt out. So we're not on the hook for, you know, however much we owed him this year once it was prorated. So is there any chance maybe we go after an Aaron Sanchez type guy? Didn't Boris just come out the other day and say he's like
1: still a number one starter? Uh, I'm a little worried that um, he might have priced himself out. I think we haven't seen Sanchez be good in a while. So I don't know. I'd rather see them save the money because we don't know if we actually will get all that price money back if this full season's not played out. Um, So I, I think they should probably just stay in house at this point. Uh, instead of risking going over the CBT again and then incurring whatever God knows what penalties that they'll have to pay?
2: Yeah, I, so I looked at the free agent pitchers just because I was curious who's actually left. I saw Aaron Sanchez's name. I can't believe Boris still is, is saying this guy's a top-line starter. Um, I mean, he look, we all remember when he came up with the Blue Jays. He looked like a monster early on. Uh, There were a few games that he absolutely dominated the Red Sox. But then he had a multitude of injuries. He completely lost control. His mechanics took a a nosedive. Um, The only, when I looked at that whole list, I mean, it's a list of crap. Like Andrew Kashner, no thanks. Jason Vargas, I'm not even sure he still wants to pitch. Um, I know that Irvin Santana was making some noise uh, about a month ago saying that, when or if the season restarted, he was ready to go, that he had been training down in the Dominican and that he felt like he he had returned to form. Maybe a guy like that, but, I mean, as Andrew mentioned, it's like, how much do you really want to spend on a 60-game season, you know, where you risk going over the CBT again? Like, I don't know. I, I think the Red Sox have some decent in-house candidates. I would rather they just go with one of the younger guys in-house and, and see how it goes.
0: Um, Santana, I think would would be on a minimal contract, you know, much like um, the Braves pitcher just opted out, King Felix, and you know, and if King Felix was going to be playing for essentially nothing because he was fronted all that money, so I think that was a big reason for his opt out. But I, with Sanchez specifically, I, I'd be worried if he's still in the Dominican because it's quite a process to get back into the states an intake screening you know all that stuff associated with it and then and then pitch effectively so i don't think i definitely agree that he's not a good uh candidate i was just trying to look up edwin jackson is he available or no was he on that list
2: he is yeah he signed with the diamondbacks back in february
0: oh okay so he's with them all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have potentially been a viable back uh, in a guy looking to, you know, might have been willing to take a cheap contract to set himself up for next year. But yeah. All right. So I guess there's really not much we could do outside of a trade, and we don't really have the trade chips to, you know, get anything significant. So um, yeah. And I still think Hein Bloom thinks he's going to work his Tampa Magic. As much as you know, most of us aren't crazy about it in a big market, but you know they might they might be looking at a couple openers a week with insane analytics and sabermetrics and whatnot to to um, you know kind of get through this.
2: Yeah, I mean, hey, if, if they still
0: want to, Clay Buckholz
2: is still out there.
0: <laughs> oh, <He's not> back. <laughs> he was on that list too. I bet. Yeah, yeah. that's that. I would hate that, but uh, um, okay. So, l- just real quick, with David Price, was it the most David Price move ever to opt out?
2: Oh, I I couldn't have been less shocked. Uh, yeah, as as soon as that came out, I'm like, of course he opted out. Yeah, of course he did. Why? Why wouldn't he? Yeah, that is the most David Price thing ever.
1: I, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't fault any of these guys, honestly. If they do, but I, 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 I don't know. I'm not the biggest David Price guy, but after what he did this whole off for all the minor leaguers, I, I, I can't really say too much bad stuff about him.
0: I think he's manipulative enough to do it like he's not just he's not just paying their way, but he's like trying to he's literally buying himself some support from the fans. You know, like it's going to give him a leg up or something. I just I mean, he went to Dr. Andrews in the early in the 2017 season and comes back with a magic elbow and basically opts out of that full season comes back in September or whatever. And, you know, and then he had that first start against the Yankees in the 2018 season, Gets shelled for four runs, ops out of coming back out for the second inning. Then the Yankees come back again in May, I think. Actually, we were going to New York, which is worse for him. And, you know, he had the whole carpal tunnel thing and and he ops out of, apologizing to Dennis Eckersley like like David (laughs) Price is like opted out of a lot of things. And I just, I was, you know, not surprised at all. I I laughed so hard. I was sitting on the toilet when I read that, I remember where I was and I laughed so hard sitting on the toilet and I, you know, and Dodgers Twitter basically gave him a pass (laughs) and I'm like, just you guys wait till next year when he gets mangled by the Giants and then doesn't want to pitch against them, you know, in a second start or whatever. You know, so I just, I'm just glad he's not our problem anymore.
2: Yeah, oddly enough, uh, one of the few things that he didn't opt out of was his contract with us, which I think after the World Series, we were all kind of hoping he would. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's David, you you can opt out of this one now if you want. He's like, oh, no, okay, I'll stay. So...
0: He probably, yeah, I mean,
2: it'd be interesting to see uh, next season, you know, if he comes back and he's still the same same pitcher.
0: He wouldn't have got the money, though, I think, if he opted out with us. He left, like, roughly $127 million on the table if he would have. So I think that might have been a, a, a big factor in why he opted in. But, yeah, I, I mean – It'll be interesting, but, I mean, that guy just doesn't have the courage to be a Justin Verlander, a Max Scherzer-type guy at 36 years old, which is what he'll be next year. Yep.
1: Yeah, he's definitely going to have to reinvent the way he pitches uh, every every time he loses a mile off the fastball. But,
2: yeah,
1: the Dodgers have a couple guys that kind of have to – figure that out between him and Kershaw. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing next year.
0: And they're pretty loaded. I mean, assuming Kershaw is still, you know, a number two ish type guy. And then, um, their young guy there, Walker Bueller. I mean, he should be number one forever. And you got Dustin may, I think they got one other prospect that we were trying to get. Uh, I forget his name, but, Um, yeah, that's just, I think, I think they're okay for a little while, you know, in the pitching department and they've got money to spend as well. So they can go get a Trevor Bauer type guy or, you know, whoever, you know, they want. I think we're going to see a lot of one year deals next year. I think people are even Mookie Betts, for instance, I think he's going to sign a one year deal just to get through the CBA, you know, that way he's not leaving too much on the table, you know, if things change drastically after that.
2: Right. Yeah, that's probably true.
0: Yeah, and you know, some are speculating. I know Peter Gammons was one. I'm not a huge Peter Gammons guy, but there's a possibility that walking away from the $300 million offer that the Red Sox got was a huge mistake, especially with teams you know with the league losing four billion dollars this year
2: yeah he might have cost himself a lot of money doing that um and obviously you know he we didn't know nobody really knew how this is all going to shake out but yeah it's a good point
0: Absolutely. Uh, kind of sticking with the Dodgers a little bit. Uh, Ex Dodger Yasiel Puig still on the market. Um, guy kind of gives me the creeps, but uh, you know the Red Sox have been connected to him. A report came out, I believe, two days ago. The Orioles have actually made him an offer, which is kind of weird because you know they're not going to compete, so they're probably just looking to maybe trade him. You know, at the August thirty first deadline, to uh, you know net a prospect out of it. But um, are you guys open to Yasiel Puig coming to Boston if if the Red Sox are interested? I mean, I wanted him
1: going into the year <laughs> when mm. uh, before any of this stuff happened. I, I was always kind of pro that after they moved Mookie, but I. I don't see them spending the money just with the financial uncertainties, unfortunately. So I think we're going to see them stand pat uh, and not take on much money.
2: I think it would be a ton of fun. Uh, would I would, be oh, my God. I would love to see Yasiel Puig playing at Fenway Park. Um, I think the guy's a fascinating player. Um, you know, I, is he worth the money that he's probably going to command? No, I don't think so. Uh, even though he had a pretty decent season last year with Cleveland. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I I don't think the Red Sox at this point are going to bring him in. Um, I think they feel pretty good about what they've got. So I'm curious to see where he does go, though. Um, I can't necessarily blame him for not wanting to play in Baltimore, but by that same token, I would say, well, if no one else is offering you a contract, you might want to just take it because otherwise you're looking at a whole season – You know, or these next 60 games and then the whole offseason, and you haven't swung a bat, like your value is going to go down. So I'm curious to see what he decides to do.
0: I mean, he's essentially close enough to a, you know, 3,100 guy, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. Um, Why doesn't he have a contract?
2: Yeah, I can't figure it out. I mean, there are teams that could definitely benefit. From having him in their lineup, even before the whole shutdown and the shortened season thing, like there were numerous teams. Like I feel like the Marlins could have could have used him on a on a one year deal. Like that's a team that is trying to prove that they're not a, you know, a seller dweller anymore. Um, He would have been a good fit there. I know the Giants had talked to him. I know that's kind of a another crappy team like Baltimore, but the Giants had talked to him about potentially, you know, signing there um he should have a contract i mean again he's only 29 and i mean it feels like he's been in the league a lot longer but he's only 29 he can still play the field pretty well from what i can gather so it's not like he has to be a dh um he's got right-handed power i i think he would be a good fit for a lot of teams i'm not sure why the market dried up on him
1: i think he probably would have Uh, i think he was holding out um, probably you know one of those last couple weeks of spring training kind of deals when Team X's right, right or left fielder gets hurt because it happens every year. And then obviously everything just went to hell in a handbag. So um, I think that's the reason he's on the side now. And obviously he probably doesn't want to pay for the pennies that are being offered to him.
0: I just, I think part of it is the guy's a little bit of a circus act, you know, and he does some weird stuff. You know, he'll run his tongue very seductively across his bat. And like, mm. I'm an ex corrections officer. I've dealt with the dark side of society, some really weird people, dangerous people, creepy people. And it gives me, he gives me the creeps a little bit. And, you know, he was a part of a couple of bench clearing, you know, brawls where he tried to fight the whole Tigers uh, not the Tigers the Pirates team and so there's just a wide array of weirdness and and I just think some teams just don't want to deal with that and the Dodgers tried to trade him you know several times over the past few years and you know they offered him to us for Jackie Bradley straight up (laughs) so what does that tell you I mean they're going to get a guy who strikes out a ton, has only come close to, I think he's only exceeded 20 home runs once in his career, Bradley. And, um, you know, they were willing to just do a one for one there. And, and Dombrowski wasn't interested. And I just, I, I just feel like that has to be a, a part of it a little bit. I think certain GMs just know how Friedman felt about him you know, during that stretch.
2: I do wonder if um, maybe some of these teams like the Rockies with Ian Desmond opting out or particularly the Braves with Nick Marcakis opting out, maybe they're now a little more open to looking at him. I mean, again, it's tough because the season's two weeks away. So I don't know what week's been doing uh, during all this. If he's been, I assume he's been staying in shape, but I don't know what you know has he been taking live bp like again we're two weeks away so it might be tough at this point to bring him in and have him ready to go for a shortened season but i do wonder if teams like that that have had players opting out if now they're saying okay let's let's give Quig a one-year deal especially a team like the braves that should absolutely be contending
1: that'd be a fun braves team too oh <laughs> that'd be a really
0: fun braves team
2: yeah him and Acuna and Albies and all those guys. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I keep saying that the guys who have opted out are a bunch of washed up 30 somethings. And I think Markakis might be one of the oldest of everyone who's opted out Yeah, I year in and year out, he's been very solid and I wouldn't even mind if he played one year in Boston next year, you know, not playing this year might, you know, affect his performance, but if I knew out of the gates he was going to give us what he gave Atlanta the last couple of years, I, I'd be all for it, you know, on a, on a short deal. But, um, but yeah, that, that would be another interesting um, destination for Puig. Also the, uh, you know, the national league has the DH. So, um, you know, so he, he could play anywhere cause his defense has been suspect at times. So, um, you know, I, I, just think that that role should make him even more signable.
1: Yeah. I think once we see a pull hamstring like a week into the season, I think, uh, I think it'll get signed up pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. His agent is probably on speed dial. Um, Okay. So, uh, what do you guys think of the crowd noise situation? It's going to be pumped into the stadium, you know, and a little awkward, I guess. But, you know, what do you guys think of it?
1: Um, you know, it's I don't mind that they're trying it, as long as it sounds better than, like, the white noisemaker it sounded like the other day at Fenway. Because hour, hour four into a Yankees-Red Sox game, when it's only, like, the third inning... It's going to put a lot of people to sleep at home. So uh, I, if they could experiment and do something cool, like find a way to ISO the crowd noise from like a playoff game and pipe that in. I don't, I'm sure there's much smarter people than me out there that know if that's possible or not. But uh, if they could do something like that, I think that's really cool. But the whole just white noise thing, I, I'd rather just hear the players on the field.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if it's going to, they're going to like, curtail it based on the stadium you know so like if they're doing it at the drop are they gonna pump in just silence to resemble the (laughs) three thousand people that are there except for like the one drunk guy with the cowbell who's going nuts like i don't know um because you can't you can't pump in like a big crowd noise into a place like the drop it just doesn't work um so i i was very anti pumped in noise when that whole idea started for all sports but I've watched a little bit of Premier League and it actually works. It's it's not bad. It doesn't sound too fake. It's definitely weird because you're hearing noise and seeing empty stands. But like, as, I think as long as it's done right and they don't overdo it and they don't make it too loud and you don't have someone back there going crazy with the, the cheer buttons or whatever, then I think it could be okay. I, I don't mind them trying at least.
0: You know, I think ESPN are the biggest offenders with this. And when you watch Sunday Night Baseball, the crack of the bat is just so loud. And you can tell that some of those foul tips just aren't really that loud. And, you know, I always forget to check for it. But when a guy goes to bunt, is it going to be like a home run sounding crack, you know? And I just think their, their crowd noise and sound effects are just are just way over the top. But one of the advantages that, you know, I immediately thought of was if they're pumping in that crowd noise, it'll at least help the players with, you know, with signs and, you know, whether they're going to steal or not, or if a mound visit needs to happen and, you know, Vasquez needs to tell Ryan Weber, hey, you know, throw a couple more change-ups, you know, down and in or whatever, Um you know, I think the crowd noise will at least help in those situations.
1: Yeah, that's definitely an advantage for sure. Cause yeah, and the, those stadiums are pretty, uh, pretty quiet. If you've seen any of the inner squad practices the last couple of days, you can, you can hear everything. So they're going to have to figure something out for those meetings. Cause I don't think they're allowed to get too close either if I read that correctly, oh, the true. pitcher and catcher, but maybe I'm wrong with that.
0: I've heard that, yeah, because of the, you know, six feet apart thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that'll be interesting as well. Another thing, too, is we might hear their walk-up songs a little better. You know, I think that could be a cool aspect of it. Um, but there's just all kinds of unique things that we're probably not even thinking about that are going to be affected by this.
2: Yeah, it does make me wonder when you mentioned the ESPN, what they do with their mics. And it's so true. They, they are so offensive with the amount of mics they put around the field. But I wonder now, is that going to be just a thing this year? Like, sure, they'll pump in the crowd noise, too. But I feel like we're going to have enhanced mics on the field. And every every base hit is going to sound like a rocket off the bat. Um, so I'm hoping that they don't go too crazy with that. But I, I have a feeling they might.
0: Absolutely. So we'll we'll just see how that plays out. Finally, the last topic I want to just kind of discuss. Uh, I don't think this would happen, you know, in the too near future. But Xander Bogaerts has basically emerged as, you know, the captain of the Red Sox. So I mean, could could a C eventually end up on his jersey? Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, he's got to opt
1: out in two years and if the financial situation's back to normal, he's probably going to opt out and get paid more than uh, the $20 million a year he's currently making. So I, I unfortunately don't think he is going to be here. Or I don't think it's a lot that he's going to be here in three years.
2: Yeah, and I would also say no, but for a different reason. I just don't think that's his personality. Um, I actually think if the Red Sox put a C on him, it would make a guy like Bogarts uncomfortable. I think that he is just a he's just sort of the quiet professional. He just goes up there, he does his job, and he doesn't he doesn't need or want the the pomp and circumstance around it. Um so I I, I don't think he would necessarily mind being regarded as the face of the team or or being regarded as like the quote unquote captain, but I think he would actually be a little uncomfortable if they were like yeah we're gonna put a c on your uniform and like you know you have to you have to actually don it like and i just don't think baseball players want it i mean anthony rizzo for years cubs fans are like oh give him the c give him the c on his jersey and he actually was the one that was like you know what i don't i don't want a C on my jersey i i think that's i don't think that's right so i think just baseball players in general just have just different personalities that It's not really their thing. Maybe there are some who would like it. Like, I think Bryce Harper would probably love it. Um, But I think for the most part, guys like Bogarts, they don't need it. So I I don't think that would happen.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't think you'd want it either. And I I really don't think you need it in baseball. It's not like hockey or something or football either. Um, Yeah, I just – it's more of a – I think it's more of a you've been here a long time. Let's recognize that kind of thing. Um, kind of like a lot of baseball is just symbolism. I don't. I don't think it's super important to have anyone designated as as such.
0: Well, there there was a lot of observations made by the beat writers last year. You know, especially when, you know, the summer months when the Red Sox weren't doing well, Bogarts was one of the few guys that would remain at his locker and field questions from the beat writers. And he was just one of the few guys that was just standing there willing to take it, you know, for the the duration of the, you know, post-game activities. And uh, if you listen to I heard him on WEI the other day, and, you know, he's talking about, you know, the different areas of the team and, you know, what he's optimistic about. And he was adamant that this team's going to be better than what people – expect it to be. And, you know, they talked about the COVID restrictions and he's like, yeah, we're all holding everyone accountable, making sure we're doing the right things. And he was praising the the Red Sox for, um, you know, using the suites the way they are because you can't use the clubhouse right now. So all of those suites up on the second deck, they've put like two or three players in each one to kind of, you know, keep them as separated as possible, but give them a comfortable, you know, clubhouse type feel at Fenway. So I just think he's quietly working himself into that, into that role, so to speak. And I just think I would love it because to me, he's the anti-Pedroia. You know, if if Bobby Valentine was running his mouth, Pedroya was the first person to explode, and you know. Pedroia, I mean how many times did he get ejected you know out of a game because he just completely lost it on an umpire or whatever nearly got thrown out of a playoff game it was Farrell that got it uh, you know the in game four of the 2017 AL uh, DS so I think I think people are gonna start clamoring for it and I think if you, if you look for it on social media it's you know it's starting to gain steam.
2: Yeah, and at the very least, um, because I know the last time it was, you know, I know Pedroia was mentioned back when he was healthy, and before him it was sort of, you know, everyone wanted Jason Veritek to get it, right? Um, Because he was sort of the consummate professional career Red Sox guy. But at least in this case, like Bogarts isn't just, you know, the guy who's been here a while and um, a guy who's considered a leader, but he's also probably your best or at least second best player, I mean, you know, it's not like Veritek who, you know, sure he was a decent catcher for a number of years, but by the end, he was he was not a great player. Um, Bogarts is one of your top stars, so at the very least, if if the players recognize him as a leader and fans do clamor for it, then sure, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, and a- another reason I-, I made this observation as well. Uh, Right after Dombrowski got fired, there was a lot of candid clubhouse interviews, and they were asking the players if if the team would still be intact next year as part of the fallout of Dombrowski being fired. And, and, you know, you had Mookie Betts just giving very political answers, and uh, uh, J.D. Martinez actually said he doesn't mind being traded. It's actually kind of fun, he said. And, you know, so but then you had Bogarts taking a team friendly deal, you know, to stay here. And I just I just think that speaks a lot. And Andrew, you mentioned it, uh, you know, in your initial response, like, I mean, do you expect Bogarts to be on another team in a couple of years once the opt out, you know, comes up?
1: um if the stocks don't open up the checkbook yeah absolutely uh he's super underpaid at 20 million a year as crazy as that may sound but yeah so there's gonna be a team out there that's gonna be willing to give him a lot more than that especially if the power uh stays where it has been the last couple of years and the average is there as well he might not be the greatest fielder but he's certainly not a liability so yeah i i um if they don't renegotiate his contract, uh, I do think he's probably going to be on another team.
0: Well, that, that's the reason I asked because I, um, you know, I would expect he would be open to, you know, just re-signing with the Red Sox if they tack two or three more years on. That'll be his. Let's see. He's born in October. He's twenty-seven now, so he'll be. He'll be going into his age 29 season. So, I mean, you you could expect at least a five-year deal, maybe a six-year deal. I know, you know, some teams are getting a, away from the, the longer contracts once these guys hit, um, you know, age 30, especially with the position players. But I, I don't know. I mean, if do you think he would take, you know, t- Three more years at 20 million tacked on to make it that would be what six well, at it's, 120?
1: It's the opt out after 2022. So, um, he's gonna, he, the, his current deal goes through 2026 and they are at 20 million a year. Uh, I think they probably have to, uh, give him another five on top of that. Uh, so make it go through 2028. Buying out the other years at uh, a solid raise of probably five to eight million dollars a year uh, at least um, to to get that started because that's gonna be his last it's gonna be his last real big um, contract opportunity so uh, he's he's gonna take his leverage and use every single uh, piece of it.
0: Yeah, I just I'm kind of skeptical. I mean, Boris could certainly you know, influence him to, to opt out, you know, even if it means playing for another team, you know, and I I mean, I think there's a possibility it could be renegotiated before the actual opt out. So if it, you know, like for instance, maybe it gets done in August or September of 2022. Um, Yeah. I just, he loves it here and we could have guys like Brian Mata up if Tanner Houck, you know, becomes, you know, a, a solid middle of the rotation guy and, you know, you have maybe one big free agent signing, you know, by then as far as a starting pitcher goes, it would just be a tough team for him to walk away from, I feel like.
2: Yeah. And, and you mentioned it right there that that like, he seems to actually love it here, which I never got that sense from a guy like Mookie Betts, you know, Mookie to me just seemed to like, he, he didn't mind it here. But every time he was asked about it, he's like, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, I enjoy it. It's cool. At least Bogart's like, he really seems to love it here. And and I think that I could see a restructuring of his contract if he really does start to feel like he's getting grossly underpaid. I could see something like that happening. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this would be a tough market and a tough team for him to walk away from.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I, I hope he doesn't. I just think that. Um, financially, I think it just makes the most sense for him to at least have the threat of walking away um, and telling the Red Sox, listen, I want X amount more, 10 million more a year. Like, Let's just renegotiate now and you don't have to worry about this going into the offseason because God knows finding a franchise shortstop isn't (laughs) isn't exactly easy. We saw what happened after, you know, Nomar was gone. It took until Xander came into his own before we Really had a <laughs> the same shortstop two years in a row.
0: Oh come yeah, on, was, Scudero was... wasn't bad. Yeah, who wasn't Marco Scudero? <laughs> oh, he God, was no. okay. I mean, <laughs> he he was like a NLDS MVP or something. Uh, one of those Giants championships, or maybe it was the World Series. Even I don't know, but he had a he had a killer series uh, on one of those runs. But um, but yeah, yeah um, I probably forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, oh, uh, when he's when he signed that contract, you know it, it caught everybody off guard because he is a Boris guy. But if you go back a few months earlier into that off season, there was a report by a couple of the beat writers, whether it was Bradford, Abraham, you know, multiple guys reported on it. It was around the winter meetings uh, earlier in that off season. and apparently they were willing to to deal one of Porcello Bogarts or Bradley to, um, you know, free up some payroll to, to get a reliever into that bullpen. And I think that might've been a wake up call for Xander. Like what? Whoa, you're, you're willing to trade me. And, you know, right. I think the morning of opening day, you know, the extension got announced and, uh, you know, a, a fairly team friendly deal as we've already discussed, but, yeah, so...
1: He's got to be a little pissed he's the only reasonable contract that Dombrowski's ever signed either, right? <laughs> like, how, how how of all the people he's ever signed did he get the worst one?
0: True, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, it's it's a good point that, like, franchise shortstops, uh, they are hard to come by. Just ask fans in Cleveland how they're going to feel once Lindor uh, walks away. Uh,
0: yeah, he's another guy, I think, a free agent after this year, probably going to take a one-year deal. Yeah. That's interesting. There's no fans next year. I mean, I don't know how they're going to – I mean, they couldn't negotiate 75 games, you know, with, you know, the the prorated stuff. And how are they going to do it with 162, you know, with yeah. with full pay?
2: That's going to be a mess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Apparently 200,000 vaccines will be available um, around the first of the year or maybe even late this year. So, um, you know, that that could help if if, uh, it comes to fruition. But uh, any final thoughts before we wrap?
2: No, I I think that's all I got.
0: Yeah, just excited uh, to
1: watch a little more Inter squad, and hopefully everything kind of starts trending
0: in the right direction, and uh, we can
1: get a season started.
0: Yeah, I can't wait either. You know, I'm gonna—I might miss some of those uh, games on the first weekend because I'll kind of be on a road trip. I won't miss the Friday night game because it's you know it's during the night, but I'll have to uh, find a way to catch you know at least some of the uh, 135 starts. But yeah, the shitty thing you guys have is uh, no Yankees games in your rotation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Well, it, I don't know. I mean, at first I thought that was a bad thing, but I don't know. Those could be some serious beatdowns, So maybe we won't be missing too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. You'll have the previews for all of them, but uh, not the, so much the reaction, but but uh, it, it's a kind of a stacked schedule because you could make a case that four out of those five, um, you know, NL East teams could either win the division or be wild cards. I'm being very generous by putting the Mets in there because they're dumpster fire. But um, but, you know, they all have decent rosters outside of the Marlins. So, um, you know, yeah, we're
1: going to see some really good pitching this year that and it's going to be really interesting the offense really has to come out the gate swinging or else it's going to be ugly
0: yeah you know I saw somebody um ask you know do any teams have a shot at winning 45 out of the 60 and I think the Dodgers and the Yankees are the two best teams and but their divisions are relatively stacked so Mm -hmm. if you factor in the interleague um so I I don't think either of those teams have a shot, but I think the Indians could be sneaky good. Um, I think the twins could have another good year, especially if they get a lot out of Rich Hill and Kenta Maeda, you know, uh, on top of the guys that they currently have. So I think if, I think the AL central is the best candidate to, you know, to maybe get to 45 because, that that's not really a, a great division. I mean the White Sox could have a better year, but there's there's some bad teams in there, and then they've got the Pirates. I think the Cubs are gonna be kinda bad. You know, they got no bullpen and you know, some players are getting old, so um I don't know. So I, I think they you know, the Central has a good chance to be the one seed anyway. Yeah,
2: the the twins intrigue me a lot because their pitching got a lot better, and they added Donaldson. I mean, they could hit the most home runs out of these sixty games for any team in the league.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the I think the Indians are, are pretty stout with uh, Clevenger and Bieber at the top. I mean, they're both essentially aces, and then uh, Carrasco, Polisac. I want to say there's one more name in there that. Uh, uh, who's that?
2: Aaron Savale.
0: Oh, Savali. Uh, I, yeah.
2: yeah, I think he's going to get depth as well.
0: Okay, yeah. So I think they've got pretty decent depth, uh, you know, in, in their rotation as well. Um, you know, they've got some young guys that'll need to step up again, you know, Mercado, and um, they've got that Reyes guy that they're a little worried about defensively, but... Um, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. They might finally have a pretty solid outfield though. Cause that, that's been their weak spot for, you know, the last five or six years. Yep. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll seriously, uh, end it now, but I appreciate you guys with us, uh, tonight. Uh, I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to do two shows a week basically from here out. And then a couple of weeks from now, we'll just be in the normal rotation anyway. So appreciate it again. Awesome show. I think we got a lot covered and uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Sounds good. Episode 198 in the books, and I'm actually positive it is 198. So hope you enjoyed it. Have a good week. You know, enjoy the weather. I'm not really a big COVID-19 guy. You know, I'm trying to enjoy my summer the best that I possibly can. So if you guys feel the same way, great. I hope it happens. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope everyone's excited finally for the start of the season. Take care.